Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94MBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Eric. Fired up and ready to get started. Yes, I am indeed. Of course, we're going to get started in just a moment uh, with our uh, full core press mailbag segment. Again, each week we do a mailbag segment uh, in our first segment of the show, and we ask for your questions on Twitter throughout the week. So definitely follow us um, and the site account at the 94 underscore to make sure to send your questions. And of course, we are recording on Friday, October 26th. Um, there's only, I think, one game going on, Wizards and Kings. So most games are done um, for the night. Um, but with that being said, let's just get right into it with the Full Court Press mail. Get ready, because it's time for the Full Court Press. First question we've got um, from at Dan Godsey. Um, I can't pronounce Dan's last name. He's a writer for the 94. He does great work, but I can't pronounce his last name, so I'll just go with the handle. He asked, um, should the Pacers start Sabonis over Turner? The Pacers have a much better net rating this year and last year with Sabonis and Depot on the floor versus Turner and Oladipo. I mean, Sabonis is certainly off to a better start this season than Turner. I mean, he's right now, he's averaging 12.5 points, 11.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists per game. He's got a really good 65.1 true shooting percentage, showing that he's an efficient scorer. And Turner, I mean, we were all looking forward to him, you know, taking another step. And granted, it has been, I think, five games for them and five games for most teams. But so far, it just hasn't happened. Um, he's actually, his scoring has decreased to 11.8 points per game. His rebounding has decreased to 5.8 per game. He's still blocking 1.8 shots per game, but his true shooting percentage of 56.3 is good. It's solid, um, but obviously it's nowhere near Sabonis' elite efficiency. And, you know, he just hasn't taken the step yet that we were looking for, and he's not hitting his threes. He's taking basically the same amount of shots. He's grabbing a lot less boards. He's scoring less overall. You know, in an ideal world, I think in an ideal world, I think that the Pacers are looking for Turner to provide the rim protection that helps their defense. Um, but really, when I mean, you look at it so far, um, I looked up on cleaning the glass. Lineups with Turner at center have a 106.8 defensive rating, and yet you look at the lineups with Sabonis at center, and that drops to 103.7 defensive rating. And then you couple that with a, an 119.8 offensive rating, and that's where you get a plus 16.1 net rating. But the interesting thing to point out about this is that, for the most part, Sabonis is playing with their bench guys and against bench units. Um, and for that matter, I really do want to see Indiana start Sabonis um, and see if it works out, because I, I just want to see him go against the opposing starters and play more with the Pacers starters, play more with an Oladipo, um, play more you know floor spacing like Bogdanovich and, and Thaddeus Young um, as a versatile four next to him. I want to see how that looks at least and, and give it a shot because based on the way the two are playing this season and what the numbers are telling them and the fact that it's early in the season, so you can definitely, this is definitely the time to experiment with, with a, a change like this. Um, I definitely think they should explore. I think that maybe they won't because they just gave Turner the extension and uh, Sabonis, yeah. yeah, and Sabonis is eligible for an extension, so... You know, maybe they want to lower his playing time a little bit more and not give him that starting role to kind of lower his, his, his value if they even, you know, will be looking to extend him or, or re-sign him or bring him back. Um, but I think that at this point, early in the season, based on the numbers, based on the numbers last year, like Dan brings up, um, I would like to see them at least experiment with starting Sabonis. Oh, yeah. I just looked up their ages. Funnily enough, I did not realize that Miles Turner is actually older than Sabonis, only by a couple of months. But it's interesting. And I think, personally, I would rather have Miles Turner come off the bench just because I've not been impressed with him. I thought it was a little early to give him the extension. I realized they were banking on potential, but so far it just it hasn't been there. And he's really insistent on shooting. He can stretch out to three, and he and he does, but at least this season he's been insistent on shooting these like 
20 foot two point jumpers where it's like man just take the extra step hit the three as you said rebound it's kind of went off the rails I, I, if it wasn't for a shot in his confidence potentially and also for the fact that you did give him this extension and you wanted to back it up as, as being um the Pacers brass I would say off the bat just to see how Sabonis would do against starting lineups and he did have a nice sample size against um against starting units when he was with OKC and it wasn't too terrible and it seems like he's developed a little bit more since then I don't see what would be the the the, the negative of that except for the personal side for how it would impact Turner himself but yeah the numbers aren't really lying I mean and even when he was with against starters in OKC he was miscast there as a as a stretch four I mean they were looking, he was I mean they put him there because they had no shooting and they didn't want to, they aren't going to play him in center with Steven Adams and so they were like here like just shoot threes and he just like couldn't hit threes and he really couldn't hit free throws and he was just so miscast and he was a rookie and it was just such an ugly situation now you know Sabonis knows who he is he knows he's going to get to the post and, and you know use his post moves there he's a capable passer um, much more a better passer than Turner is so maybe that can help facilitate some more ball uh, ball movement in their starting lineup um yeah but like you said the numbers don't lie um and i get i agree with you i think it's the, the consideration of of the contract extension that they gave turner and they don't really know how what sabonis's future with the team is and those those personal factors um you know from front office down are the ones that probably will prevent this change from happening but again it's so early in the season that this is the exact time to experiment with such a change and you never know sometimes you sometimes you strike gold honestly by accident and sometimes you strike gold by looking at the numbers and using what the numbers tell you and then actually making the change based off that Mm-hmm. exactly it's interesting to see moving forward all right so another question um by at Dan2044, I mean, how could I even labor like I was going to butcher that one? <laughs> Are the Raptors back to being considered the favorites in the East? Or will people claim all year that the Celtics don't have to be the number one team to be the playoff favorite since their young players will be even better by the end of the season? Um, I'm just going to take a first stab at it. I personally think that the Raptors are back to being considered the favorites, but that's more or less due to the recent lackluster play by the Celtics. Last night's win against the Thunder, notwithstanding, it still seems like it's taking a long, not a long time, but it's taking a while for Gordon Hayward to get his foot back in. It's only been a couple games, so we can't really go off the rails on that. Same for Kyrie Irving, who's just been shooting abnormally horrible from the field lately. Um, so so that's something to consider. As well as the fact that this is the first time that Brad Stevens has had, you know, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving with these young players moving forward. So in crunch, they've only had one situation in the loss to the Raptors where they had a potential crunch time situation and you could kind of see him tinkering with the line to try to figure out what was the best lineup to have moving forward there's going to be a lot more fine tuning there's going to be a lot more working to to make sure that everyone's in the right proper position and obviously brad stevens couldn't account for the horrendous shooting so far for hayward and and and, and irving so i think so i think the raptors is better defensively they have the best player in the series that they were to match up well multiple creators multiple defenders the best bench or one of the best benches in the NBA, I would give the Raptors the edge, but, I mean, then it would come down to me for coaching between Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse. But that's that's my opinion, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there is definitely some people that believe the Raptors are the favorites or, or the best team in the East, um, and I I am one of those people that think they're the best team in the East, you know, especially currently. Um, I still think overall the majority of people if you ask them who they think it make was going to make the finals out of the East, would still say the Celtics. Um, and I think that maybe because it's only a week or so into the season and a lot of people will stick with their preseason picks of the Celtics making the finals. Though I'm, I'm, I don't remember exactly. I'm pretty sure in our preview pod that I said the Raptors would. I can't remember. I have to go back and listen I to it. I think you but did. Yeah, I got – I know. That or – I, I mean, I definitely picked so. the Raptors to win more 
regular season games. I'm not sure if they if I picked them to make the finals, but I, I might have. Um, but like you said, exactly what you said. You know, two things. You know, they would have the best player in a series, and we know how much stars can drive. If you have the best player playing at their best, that's a huge you know plus in your camp. And then obviously they have plenty of wings, and especially you know wing defenders, and they've definitely got enough offensive creation cover with Lowry and, and Leonard. Um, so I, I like the, the this, this roster, especially as it I mean as it's stacked up to really any team in the league. Um, but it matches up well with the Celtics. It can match up potentially well um, with the Warriors should they meet in the I'm finals. I'm intrigued by that matchup. I mean, definitely. I definitely want to see that. I'm really looking forward to their first regular season game, so we can at least get a, a glimpse of it. Um, but I, like you said, I mean, the Celtics are rusty. I mean. Irving and Hayward, you know, they're not really, they're not 100% at all for sure. Um, and so we, we have to give them a lot more time. I mean, we have to get them more time to gel as a healthy team. Um, you know, it was great that the, you know, that the young guys get to step up last year, but now the roles are different. You've got Hayward back. You've got Kyrie back. You know, those are two key guys that were not in the playoff rotation, of course. And now you have to integrate them in and obviously make sure that they're 100%. And then when they start knocking down their shots and that'll obviously, you know, the defense will have to, gravitate more towards them when they're on fire like a Kyrie game and that obviously gives more space to the other guys like Brown and Tatum and and Horford and Morris and everything like that so I want to wait and see um they're not off to a terrible start they're, they're off to a kind of mediocre start I guess but again like you said it's rust it's kind of integration um and it's putting all the pieces together because they didn't they never had all the pieces at any point last season especially in the playoffs when they, they were missing two key pieces so let's give them more time to integrate those pieces in um and sure, the Raptors are getting off to a hot start. Um, they had a, a decent amount of time in the offseason to work in those pieces. And, you know, the Celtics, and, and they got a healthy Kawhi. You know, everyone was asking, oh, is it a good trade if we don't know Kawhi's healthy? Well, I mean, oh, so he's far, back. he's back. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the dude had a blind steal. <laughs> I don't even know how. I'm still trying to convince myself that it was by accident that he dove to the floor like that. Yeah, or just I, supernatural anticipation on defense. <laughs> that was crazy. But yeah, so the Celtics mm-hmm. stars are not 100% while the Raptors stars are, or the Raptors best players are. So I want to give more time for the Celtics. I think the Raptors are making the finals. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I predicted that before the season, and I'm going to stick with it. Um, but I still think overall the majority of people, if you still ask them, if you press them for a decision right now, they'd still go with the Celtics, I think, because it's so early in the season, and that's what they predicted before the season started. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone, myself included, can anticipate the early struggles. You know, it's almost like sometimes when we evaluate talent, and not all of us, but just, I can say for myself, definitely, it's almost like we put together like 2K. Like, oh, in theory, you know, you bring this player here and this player here and everything there. They match up well. You have a great bench lineup. And this is how it all works without really taking in the element of, oh, wow, there might be rust or, oh, you know, what could be the best tinkering lineup? Because it's easy for us to sit here and call what the best lineup would be and then see – you know, you're still trying to work Gordon Hayward back. So how do you stagger his minutes in the first quarter, you know, to the second? Does he come up the bench and start the third? You know, that sort of thing. There's more of that to be considered. Or for the fact that um, Kyrie Irving uh, Kyrie Irving right now is shooting six. Uh, he shot six threes. He's made out of 28, 21% from three. That's, that's crazy. Jason Tatum also 27%. These are just bad shooting stats for people who are still working their way back. You know, Gordon Hayward was actually shooting 40%, but on 15 attempts in, in, in three game, five games. So, like, you, you can't account for certain elements that, I mean, rust, you know, working your way back. Yes, you had a full offseason, you're healthy for the season, but playing real NBA games, heavy NBA minutes, that does impact your shot. That does impact, you know, the way you play on the defensive end, having your legs under you in the fourth quarter in crunch time. So, yeah, it, it's true. It's a lot of 
I guess, extra stuff to it. But, I mean, you were already on board with the Raptors, and I'm thinking so now, now that the narrative is kind of leaving us and more of, like, the product on the floor is, is clear. You can kind of go from there and say, you know what, yeah, the Raptors. And I'm really high on them after seeing how they all fit together. I had my questions about Nick Nurse. I no longer have those questions. Yeah, and we'll have to see how the season progresses and how they manage Kawhi, obviously resting him a couple of games here and there to make sure they're fresh for the playoffs. Because um, this team isn't exactly super young in terms of Lowry and Green, you know, has been through his fair share of battles as well, Ibaka. Right. Um, so we have to see how they manage. But I agree, the Raptors look great, and the Celtics just need a little bit more time. Um, and with that, let's move on to our next question um, from old friend Justin Carter. Um, at Just- Shout out to Justin. At Just Parts <laughs> on Twitter. Um, if Jimmy Butler is possibly worth four first-round picks, how many firsts are other players worth? And it's important, I think, to evaluate in, in any situation when you're evaluating you know, how many picks a player is worth is to understand that no first-round pick is really the same, um, and especially picks from potential lottery teams versus say, the Rockets, who are obviously the team that it's rumored to give up for first-round picks. Um, it really, I think, if you would just like look at this in a vacuum, it really would depend on where you are as a team you know, just to decide how much that player is worth. Because that player, if you were trading up you know, that many firsts, better make you a true contender. Um, if, you're, if you're on one of those teams that's like barely in the playoffs and you trade that many firsts for a player it's, and it's not going to make you a true contender, maybe makes you like a second-round um, team that gets bounced out, you know, that's that's definitely not worth it. Um, but if it's, if you're looking at a team like the Rockets, whose first-round picks for at least the next, you know, two, maybe three years aren't going to be good anyways, you know, then it changes the value of those first-round picks overall. Um, I think in a vacuum, I think Giannis and AD may be the only two players that are actually worth, you know, four firsts from a decent team. I'm not talking about four firsts from a, from a top three team in the league. I'm talking about, like, four firsts that could most of them end up like in the lottery or, you know, even worse than that uh, because both are still young and are already top, you know, some would say top five players. Some would say at least top seven players for both of those guys based on how they started the season and what they're doing to lead their teams in a vacuum, just analyzing straight up, you know, a player for picks. I think Giannis and AD might be the only two players given their age and how good they are already that might be worth four actual first round picks. See, when I, yeah, when I was evaluating the question, I was thinking players that are actively available or potentially available because you could obviously say oh Steph Curry could be worth that or LeBron or any other player who you know come on they're not going to be traded that that's not a situation that they're going to be a part of but AD is one you already mentioned Giannis well what do you think about I mean it's kind of funny asking this in light of the season he's having so far but Carl Anthony Towns or a Devin Booker you know a player who I mean 21 22 already producing very well you know you have them on a max contract or you have the potential to sign them to a max contract. Would you, if you were in position to do so, offer four first-round picks for a player like that who could potentially be the centerpiece for the next, you know, eight, ten years? Well, I mean, it's just so hard to answer unless I know what, like, what team I am. Like, if I'm, like, um, if I'm, like, a, like a Nets franchise, that's a bad choice. That's a bad choice. Honestly, that is such a terrible choice. But, like, baby. But like a team you know, like I'm for Paul Pierce though, so like he wasn't <laughs> worth those. You know, him and Kevin Garnett and Jason Terry were not combined worth maybe two first round picks. But we're all not Billy King, you know. Yeah, like I mean, like what if you're like, um, what if you like the Clippers or something? Like a team that like probably might not make the playoffs, but is like going to be like 500 or maybe a couple games above 500. Like, would you theoretically trade four first round picks 
and it, I guess we're considering unprotected at this point for the, the sake of this conversation for mm-hmm. like Carl Anthony. I wouldn't do it for Devin Booker. I think. Well, if I'm the Kings, I don't trust my drafting. I mean, I just well, don't. Like, well, they don't even have I'm their first round pick for next season. <laughs> exactly. But like, if I was in this theoretical situation as as a I'm thinking a crappy team that just horrible management. I mean, I guess that's a horrible basis to start off. But I would because you're you're kind of trading for a proven thing, and I think those are the best case scenarios in the sense that they're 21, 22, so they're still young, but they're also proven product with the potential of upside and growth. Well, uh, you know, what I would say to that is, you know, if for, if you're looking at it from a team perspective, they would have to trade for that player and then be able to actually build a team around them. And we saw the Kings had a guy like Demarcus Cousins, and they were still like routinely getting top stuff. 10, top 12, you know, especially lottery picks. They never made the playoffs. So for that, for the team perspective, if you're a really bad team and even one that really can't draft well, if you trade all those picks to get that talent, it's like, okay, great, you've got this Colin City Towns, you've got this other great young player, but, you know, if you can't build around them, then you're just giving away four, you know, lottery picks, if not higher than that, um, and then it comes into a whole other mess. So really, it, it's such a hard question to answer in, in a general vacuum. You know, that's why I, I kind of focus more on, like, the general, like, just straight up, if you're giving up four first-round picks that are unprotected, Giannis and AD might be the only two players that are worth it, considering the fact that the young and that they're already like top seven players in the league because four first is a lot, and you know that's not even counting the, the salary that you'd actually have to put in to match the deal. It is, and and I might be spoiling something here by putting on the spot. You'll probably just let let me know if I'm wrong. Would you do this for Jimmy Butler? Oh, we're gonna get to that. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Let's, let's tease the three point segment. That'll be one of I my figured. points. There we are. Dunup bump. All right, all right. So we have one by uh, Forrest Walker at at do not do not. I want to say donuts. Do not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, which su- which surprises have been an early season mirage and which haven't? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I I think we're going to disagree on this, but I think what haven't been what hasn't been a mirage is the Pistons start. Hmm. And the reason I say this is, and I can't really go too deep into it because it's also one of my three points as well. But yeah, they I, I've heard. You know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, they've all three, they're three and zero, and all or four and zero, and all four games have been closed, and all this good stuff." But I mean, they're winning these games, they're pulling it out. And I think that the basis of it, it's not like they're floundering a big lead. It's not like they're still banking on Andre Drummond not having the strongest season so far. Reggie Jackson adjusting. I think it's more of the situation that Dwayne Casey's kind of put players in already that is laying the groundwork for the season for the Pistons. And yes. They're not going to be undefeated for long. In fact, I mean, we're going to look ahead. They're probably not going to be defeated past this weekend. However, I think that this start just denotes a positive, strong season for Detroit and one where they will very possibly be competing for a playoff spot. Oh, I think they're definitely going to be competing for or a playoff a, spot. a solid playoff spot, not like the dregs of it. But I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking as high as like five or six. Uh, yeah, I mean, we do disagree about this because, like you mentioned, all four <laughs> wins have been very close, and three of them have been against non-playoff teams. You're going to pull that up. <laughs> and, I mean, I just want to see if they can stay healthy. And, you know, again, early season, it's so hard to evaluate what's for real. Last season, the Pistons started 10-3. and three. Remember, when they were they were in the top of the Eastern Conference in the middle yeah. of November last year, and it's not even November Wait, this year. It. So, I mean, I just think that, I like what they've been doing. I like that they've been winning close games. Obviously, Blake has been playing really well. Drummond can stand to improve. But the, the question is, one, the injuries, are they going to stay healthy? And two, you know, you never know. This could straight up be a mirage of just close games, close wins against against 
bad teams for the most part um, because you know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later like you said they're going to have a, a much harder stretch coming up and that's going to be a really good test for them but because of that I just think it's too early to say that this hasn't been a mirage um, straight up that's saying that they're going to be a really good team or a solid playoff team because I think that they're going to probably have some kind of health issue and they're probably going to I mean they're going to face a harder schedule moving forward um, based on these first four games that they barely won. I mean, some of those games they could have, you know, they came down to the final possessions so far this season against the Nets, um, against, you know, the, the, the Cavs. They struggled to beat the Cavs, the Bulls as well. They barely beat the Sixers. Um, so I, I think I, I, have to wait, I have to wait and see more from the Pistons. Okay. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sure we're going to get back to that, like you said, later on three points. Yeah. Um, I'll go to one of my. Um, surprises and i'm not sure how much of a surprise it is i think i think the extent to which the rockets are not defending is a surprise but i think what i think we all knew that they weren't going to defend as well as last season so um i think that that's actually not a mirage i think that you know them being i think they're 25th defensively now that that's probably a mirage but there's i think that the overall um storyline and trend of them not defending um, and not being in a being a below league average defense, I think that's probably what's going to be the case for this season because they just straight up don't have the defenders on the roster. Um, because James Ennis is not an Ariza or Mavad Mute defensively. PJ Tucker is not really a perimeter defender. He's just a little bit too bulky um, and doesn't have the, the the lateral movement to keep up with these quick guards. He's more of a guy who's going to guard the fours and the fives of the league. And then Paul, with his age and his size, is always going to be you know. A disadvantage against most players, and especially when when they switch. Um, and then Harden has been a, a, a complete catastrophe on the defensive end so far this season. Um, it's like back to like 2015, 16 levels of him just watching the ball and not looking at his man. Um, and now he's injured, of course. So I feel like them not defending overall, them being below average on that end of the floor is not a mirage. Um, I think that their defense will improve a little bit from where it is now, but it's gonna it's gonna be below 15th in in the league this season. I- yeah, I I was already I've been so negative on the Rockets so far in general that like I just have to nod my head and agree because I I said I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a little bit longer but I said I didn't know it was gonna be this bad I mean and of course injuries are also a part of it but I said Bamute and Trevor Rizzo would be a little bit more than what you know the, most of us at large and apparently the Houston Rockets thought yeah just in general they just they're not the the, the defending team that they were that switch everything philosophy they had last year kind of goes out the window and yes there's other factors i know they had some with their coach and and there's other things there but i, I was always negative on it from the moment trevor Reza put pen to paper with the suns yeah um and one final oh, right. one that i have really quick is i think okay. that the bucks undefeated start i think is a sign of things to come i'm not saying not that they're not saying undefeated <laughs> but uh they really do they really, they really look like a 50 win team i mean if not more at this point at this point with their modern offense i mean this is a this is a a shining example of the of the difference that coaching can make in the NBA. Um, a lot of people like to say like, "Oh, coaching is you know it's probably the least important in the NBA of all the other sports." Um, but you look at this Bucks team going from the same pretty much same roster, um, and, and I mean you know, they added Lopez and Ilyasova, which again were were brought in because of the way Budenholzer wants to play, and you just go from kid and Prunty to Budenholzer, and he just says we're going to play a modern offense, we're going to unlock these guys a little bit more, we're going to play a more you know traditional you know sane defensive scheme, and they're undefeated, and they look like a team that's you know almost a surefire to win fifty games if they stay healthy. So I think that's a sign of things to come. Oh yeah, I mean even as what they play they played today, I remember, right? Yeah, oh, they destroyed yeah. the Wolves. Exactly. And that was with Giannis having what, fifteen points? I mean this mm-hmm. the the philosophy, the the fundamental way that the Bucks have played has changed. And it's shown because 
I mean, other people are stepping up in major ways, and there's more space on the floor from what I've been seeing. Uh, it, it's it, yeah, oh, Coach Bud, man, biggest off season uh, uh, asset for the Bucks. Just their their best free agent signing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get one from our uh, friend of the <laughs> friend of the pod, <laughs> Alex West at Alex West NBA, and a lot more. But after one week and thus a large enough sample to make the decision. <laughs> Who are your last two in and first two out for the Western Conference playoffs, and why? I'm going to let you tackle this one first, just so I can, you know, fundamentally disagree with you. <laughs> so, I, I, they haven't, I mean, they haven't, the last two in for me haven't changed. Uh, I've still got the Lakers and, and the Blazers being, like, seven and eight in some order. Um, they haven't changed. I mean, I think that both have gotten off to what we expected for them as a start. I, I don't really think... I didn't expect the Lakers to get off to a hot start because they're going to spend time to integrate all these pieces, and then they had a hard schedule to start, and then, of course, the suspensions didn't help. Um, and obviously, you know, the lack of shooting hurt them in that first game. The lack of front court depth hurt them in a, in a bunch of other games. Um, the Blazers have had a good start, basically, besides that weird Wizards loss at home that was kind of disappointing. Um, they've taken care of their business, um, and I see no reason why to drop them out of that spot or even move them up because, you know, the Pelicans are playing really well. The Nuggets have been really well. Um, of course, you have to look at the Rockets and the Thunders teams that could slip from the top to go to the bottom of the standings, but I think it's a little bit too early for me to say that they're going to fall to like seven and eight, respectively. Um, and my first two out, Spurs are still there. Um, they've been, you know, hit or miss. Their defense has been bad. Their offense has been, you know, pretty good, actually. Um so far this season, and I'm going to replace the Wolves with the Clippers. I like the feistiness they've been playing with. They just they seem like a team that's going to be competitive on almost every night um, when they're not like on a back to back or something, or when you know they don't get injured. If they can stay reasonably healthy, like a Beverly stays healthy, Gallinari stays healthy, they've got the pieces. You know they don't have that you know top end talent, but they've got the pieces, the depth, and the coaching. Um, to be competitive on a night-to-night basis, and I think that that you know I think the Wolves are going to trade Butler um, and you know kind of fall apart a little bit, or not trade them I and still fall apart based on the chemistry issues and just they're not playing well. So I, I, I would the only change I'm making is the Clippers replacing the Timberwolves as one of the first two teams out. All right, well I'm gonna for the last two in. I mean I kind of have to go with the Lakers just because I mean I didn't think they're going to go 0 three. I will not say that. Slow start to me was like. I don't know, one and two, maybe two and one if I was really feeling optimistic. But I'm um, 0 oh and 3, no. And then, yikes, this is strikingly similar to yours, but I couldn't really think of anyone else. I mean, the Blazers are there, but that, I mean, the Timberwolves were the ones I had. But with the whole, the way the Jim Butler situation has further kind of devolved and with just how Carl Anthony Towns has been playing, I, I don't know. I'm going to put, yeah, I'm going to say Lakers. I'm going to have to agree with you, Lakers and Blazers. Um, as far as the first two out, yeah, the Spurs. I mean, I love them, but yeah, I, I just I, I don't see it happening. And then I don't know how high they were. They were kind of on the dregs of it. I'm just gonna cheat and use them anyway because I don't really feel comfortable picking anyone else but the Grizzlies. Am I safe to say the Grizzlies? That is interesting. That is really an interesting choice there. They've been really hit or miss so far this season. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm using them because I know that they're, 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 they're the one team that's like fluid in my opinion. You know, all these other ones are like strong stances. I'm, I'm gonna go in on a limb and say the Grizzlies because they've really been. Weird, and I think, oh man, I want to talk about them right now. But they, they've just been an interesting kind of. They're two and two right now. Interesting up and down play, and having kind of watched a few of their games when they run through players that might actually play, you know, pretty decently, they're fine. And I think because of injuries, they're being forced to play the players that they should have been playing all along. But that's another story. Yeah, uh, I listen. It's always fun to go out on a limb sometimes, change things up at least. Just once in a while. <laughs> I'm just not. I don't want to go safe and just I'd 
be identical to you again on this one. So I'm going to go on limb and say Grizzlies. Not a hot take, y'all. Just trying to be different. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final question of this week's mailbag segment. It comes from, again, another friend, Josh Cornelison uh, at Xavier Star. Of course, make sure to check out his Hardwood History podcast um, no, and his Hardwood History column. So he's got a written portion and a podcast portion just you know, go diving into, you know, the historical aspects, you know, big team storylines um, of the NBA, uh, of, of the NBA's past. And he asks, um, is Houston still the favorite to finish second in the West? Assume they don't trade for Jimmy Butler. And at this point, you can't call him a favorite. Um, you can call them a contender for the second seed. Um, but really, you look at it, Utah's a strong team, uh, and they should continue to get better. They've had a really, you know, hit or miss, you know, start to the season so far. Uh, the Pelicans are undefeated and, and playing well, though they barely survived and got lucky to win today um, thanks to D'Angelo Russell doing an inexcusably no-look pass when oh, they were trying to avoid the foul. don't hate on the mans. I mean, you got to hit on him for that play right yeah, there. Yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> um, and so yeah, New Orleans is there. Denver looks to be a much improved team. Obviously, the Warriors are there. Um, you know, if New Orleans makes an in-season addition for a wing, they could really jump up to real contenders for that second seed. Um, I think it's, again, I think it's still a little too early for me to say that the Rockets are going to definitively like fall down, you know, to like the fourth, fifth, sixth, or even seventh or eighth seed. Um, but just you given their defensive struggles, like we mentioned before, given the injuries um, and potential injuries for more down the road with Paul or Nene, you know, might not play that much this season at all. And even if they do trade for Butler, I know he says to assume they don't, but even if they do, you have to factor in a huge adjustment period for bringing him in and, and integrating him into the lineup. So because of all those reasons and because of the teams below them improving and, and playing we- playing well, they're just not a clear favorite at all for the second seed at this moment. Yeah, no, they're definitely not a favorite to me. And I, it's weird. I, I can't even pick a favorite for the second seed because you already mentioned Utah playing well. And, and I like them just consistently offensively. I don't know if I trust Donovan Mitchell on a night-to-night basis. I, and I, again, I... Did you not see last year, Corbin? Yes, I understand. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I have reservations on Utah. New Orleans, if they had a, a, a just an, a, a decent wing, like you said, if they made a, a trade for one or, I don't know, just one kind of <laughs> appeared. I thought Wesley Johnson was actually a kind of um, under-the-radar sign or under-the-radar trade for him, but apparently not really. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if they had a half-decent wing, just a three-man in general, I, I think they would say that way. I like the way that they play as far as their pace. I do think that is sustainable. Um, and I can't even say that Anthony Davis be injured because he's been pretty healthy the last couple of seasons. They, they, the way they play and the personnel, the way they're being used, they're pretty solid. But I don't know if I'd say a number two seed. But, yeah, and then, like you said, Denver's very much in there. Don't count on my Lakers. No, I'm just kidding. Definitely count on my Yeah, I don't know. Like, at this point, especially with the way the defense is kind of free-falled and the fact that Houston's is not as deep as they were last year. So the injuries are coming earlier, and they're impacting them harder. And, yeah, I just think there's, like, a glut of teams that kind of compete for that for that second team. I'm not comfortable picking any one. But if you put me against the wall with a gun in my head, I would say New Orleans. Wow. All right. I mean, listen, let, let me, yeah. let, let me uh, before I forget, to up, update our Randall watch. Hashtag Randall and the three, and the E is a three. Hashtag Randall watch. Um, he is four for nine. He went 0 for 1 today against the Nets. Four for nine, still a solid percentage. Um, and we definitely we're going to be tracking that. I'm tracking that on Such Twitter, four. of course, but I'm going to track it every episode of the pod. Um, so just so I can mention that while you mentioned the Pelicans. Um, and okay, let's wrap up. That'll wrap up our uh, full court press mailbag segment. Again, we look for your questions every week. So around Wednesday, Thursday, and you know even up to recording on Fridays, we're going to ask for your questions on Twitter. So make sure to follow both of us and follow the site account to to send in your questions. Um, and now we will move on to our half court heave prediction segment. It's time to take the half-court heave. 
And I'll go quick. Um, my half-court heave prediction is more of a full-season prediction. Um, and I think we're going to have an in-season coach firing this year. Oh, no. I, I mean, this. okay, let's hear it. <laughs> I, think that, I think there are two clear leading candidates in, in Dave Yeager and Tyron Liu. Um, you know, the Kings have gotten off to a decent start, um, but he's been there for a while and nothing still looks to be changing that much. And then Tyron Liu, I mean, this team, as of right now, and we'll get to them later. I, mean, I will get to them later. But as of right now, they look really, really bad. So if they just decide that they need a new voice and they just need to turn over a new leaf for this franchise and start that rebuild, it kind of makes sense to start with the coach and, and get a new perspective in there or just change it up, you know, midseason if things are really, really get out of hand. And, you know, even if OKC doesn't turn it around in time, I wouldn't say that a team like that would fire their coach. I think that would be more of like an end of season kind of move you would make if they just really disappoint. Um, but listen, I can't rule it out if they really, really struggle this season or or just don't turn it around in time. So I think that Dave Yeager and Tyron Lue, I think Lue would be my pick if I had to make a prediction for a specific coach to be fired this season. Um, but I think Yeager or Lue are leading candidates, um, and I think we will have an in-season coach firing. Okay, see, my half court heave is remarkably so similar, except it's a lot more specific, a lot more specific and a different coach than you. Yeager and Lou obviously are there. I'm going to say Billy Donovan is gone by Christmas. Wow. That, that is, yes, that's my crazy half court heave. That is one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's had roster turnover the last three seasons there, but with back to back first round exits, I think a sustained slow start could prove to be a death knell for him. The offense is stagnant um, and non existent in crunch time. The defense won't get by forever, and and with this pace that's currently being played in and this talented Western Conference with the composition of the Thunder playing every night, an 0-4 start is, is, is troubling. I mean, I get that Russell Westbrook missed the first, the first, uh, first what, two games? Yeah, because he's, he's been played the last two games. They've both been losses. The way that they closed, that the Celtics closed with a 16-1 run on the Thunder was not excusable, or inexcusable, I mean, and the fact that the play that they drew out of the timeout in a crunch time possession was for Russell Westbrook to get the ball out and for less in less than a second lock and load for a missed three was ridiculous because either way it looks bad on Coach Donovan. If that was the play that was drawn up, that's just a horrible play. If that wasn't the play and Westbrook's just hijacking the offense as a coach, and this is already kind of kind of thrown about in regards to Donovan, you have to leave your mark on the team. You can't just have players hijacking the way that you have your philosophy set without something being done because at the end of the day it's your job that's on the line russell westbrook is signed for the long haul with okc uh, assuming that things don't fall apart and he gets traded you, your donovan's belt will be gone a lot faster than russell westbrook's and i do not like the way that with the talent that the thunder have had the way that they've played there's been some troubling um roster movements or not moving people or let's say for example terrence Ferguson has been horrible at the off guard position for a thunder so why not take him out and bring in other other players who, who could do better. I mean, in that situation. I, the sad thing is I can't even think of a proper <laughs> wing I would like to insert for Terrence Ferguson. I just wouldn't put Terrence Ferguson there. But that's just a fundamental problem. The Thunder don't really have a lot of shooting. Totally different story. I just think that with the expectation for OKC, the fact that you just did secure Paul George long-term, and this is how you come off the gate. And yeah, Russell Westbrook can say, you know, he's not concerned all he wants. But um, you're in, I mean, these it was what three games separated three and ninth seed. I mean, this uh, a stat or a number that gets thrown about a lot, but it's a very big deal in this Western Conference. If the Thunder don't make it, I mean, I don't think Donovan will be around to even see that. 
All right, there you have it. Both are we're both predicting in season coach firings, and Corbin's getting real specific with Billy Donovan being gone by Christmas. I'll go with Tyron Lue is just fired sometime during the season. Um, <laughs> yeah. And with that, Did, we'll uh, question for you. Yeah, sorry, real quick. Do you think that's Tyron? I mean, Tyron Lue's just not a good coach. I knew that before i'm sure you did as well many others but do you think that's more management too i mean there's a piece on the athletic about being management pressuring um the coaching staff to play con sexton more or more minutes or kind of managing expectations there between veterans and the youth and the fact that they signed kevin love to a long-term extension but also have these young guys that they need to develop like i don't know if i'm sure that they'll throw coach lou under the bus but do you think that the problem specifically lie with coach lou or is it just a front office malaise across the board Oh, it's definitely not only it's definitely not his fault entirely. I mean, I, I agree. I we we both agree that he's not really a good coach at all. But really, this roster just kind of misfit with with veterans and a couple of young players that should be getting the most the majority of the playing time. And this is a team that should have focused you know solely on rebuilding right from the start from LeBron you know leaving them. And the fact that they've given this kind of misfit collection of a roster to Lou to try and coach and talent to be competitive and. It already is, you know, obviously not turning out great, and they're going to be really, really bad. Um, and so I feel like it's just a thing. It's a way for them to kind of, like you said, throw them under the bus. And then also it just kind of makes sense to get a new voice in there as they kind of start another post-LeBron era of this franchise, whether they do end up trading away their veterans and really going all in on the rebuild or just keep keeping it together with the same roster and getting a new voice in there that's not from the LeBron-led teams, I guess. Makes sense. I get that. I just wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, so uh, let's move on to our second main segment of the show are three points now let's move on to our three points um and i will start first um the downside of doing a of a weekly pod um compared to corbin who also hosts a couple of episodes of our daily pod the morning shoot around which of course you have to check out on the 94 podcast network um is that we don't always have the time or we're not always available to talk about the trends of the week and one of the big trends that's come basically this entire season so far is the crazy increase in scoring and pace so far. Um, if, if you like offense, you know, this is definitely the season for you. Um, you know, last season, the Pels, Pelicans led the league in pace at 101.6. This season, that same number would rank 20th in the league. Wow. 20th. Hawks, the Hawks current, I, I pulled these uh, stats late Thursday night. So the Hawks lead in pace so far at 109. Again, the Pelicans led last year at 101.6. There are 15 teams posting an offensive rating of at least 110. Uh, I'm counting the Kings because they're at 109.9. Um, and last season, only seven teams posted such a high number. Um, as of October 24th, the league was taking mid-range shots 4% less often, three-point shots 1.3% more often, and restricted area shots 3.4% more often. So really... Across the league, you're looking at teams that are just getting smarter about their shot selection, taking less mid-range jumpers, shooting more threes, and more more importantly, getting more shots at the rim. And then you combine all of that with, like I said, the faster pace overall and those freedom of movement calls, um, and that's how you're getting such high-scoring games. And obviously, the question is, is this going to continue? And I think, you know, not at this high of a level. I think things will kind of level out a little bit. Teams will slow down a little bit. Maybe the refs stop calling as many calls of those freedom of movement calls. Um, but overall, I think you're going to get a much higher scoring um, regular season. I think you're going to get a faster pace across the league. Um, and it's very exciting for a lot of people. A lot of people love offense. It's kind of really captivating to watch on these you know teams going back and forth, running really up and down, a lot of possessions um, in that case. 
the people that love defense, you know, they're going to appreciate those really good defensive teams, but overall they're going to struggle to find those games where it's really a defensive slugfest. Um, and that's what you get from teams getting smarter about their shot selection, a little, a couple of rule changes, um, and pe- teams just, you know, running out of, literally running out of the gate so far this season. So I just want to, you know, talk about that for a little bit because it's, it's really crazy just how early and how soon this change and increase in scoring and pace has happened so far. That that stat is incredible. I did not. I realized that obviously the pace was faster, but to put it in context like that, wow, <laughs> it, it's kind of whack. All right. So for my first point, this is a segment I'm, I'll probably just kind of jump on over here on our show. I was going to do it for the um, <laughs> the 94 morning shoot round, but I don't think anyone wants to hear me wax poetic about Kemba Walker every day, three days a week. I'm going to call it Walker Watch. All right. And this is for <laughs> Kemba Walker, who this year, just the way he's been playing, is my is my is my this, he is my season's favorite player. I picked one per season last year was LeBron James. He's still near and dear to my heart as a, as a Laker fan. But Kemba Walker is my guy for this year. I just think great talent on, on, a, on a middling team. He was the East player of the week. He's averaging ridiculous 33 points, 5.3 assists, and 3.5 rebounds through his first four games. And he's made 21 of his 45 three-point attempts. He had, I'm just trying to realize how many he had in three quarters tonight. Um, 30 and three quarters to go along with six rebounds and seven assists. He's lights out from three this year. Just just ridiculous. Um, he, he's a guy, and I, I brought this up last time, and I said, you know, I, I wish there was a way to, to, to move him. I think if you're, if, you're a, a, a Hornets, um, if you're Hornets management, the best thing you can do is to try to get some value for him while you can. But at the same time, I get, and I had some conversations, shot again to Josh Earl, um, during the week where it was like, you know what, what he means to this team, to this franchise. And yeah, they're not going to really go anywhere and they're in a tough position. What would you do to move him, for example? Where would he go if you were to trade him away? Um, there's there's so many other ways you can kind of go down this rabbit hole with him. But I, I if he was on a better team, I honestly, and, and this is another hot take, but I think you could put him as like a fringe MVP candidate. And wow. I, don't think that's, I, I know his shock value, but like, look at this. Look at the numbers. Look at the stats. Look at the way he's playing. Like he's, it's because he's in Charlotte. That's my argument. Like he, he's been night and day better as far as improvement year to year. He's a lights out three point shooter. I'm trying to look at, trying to t- factor in the stats from what he shot today with everything else from the field in general. But and it's still early, so I, I will say it's still very much early. But Come on. I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I had to start with the shock value when to get you engaged on this. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. listen, I, I've always loved watching Kemba, and this season is no exception. I mean, the guy is averaging, you know, not not including today, but 31 points per game on a 62% true shooting percentage, which is an elite number, and he's shouldering a 33% usage percentage. So, I mean, we're, ta- we're talking like Steph Curry 2016 levels of handling usage with 30 points a game with that kind of true shooting. I mean, it, it's elite, rare, rarefied air in terms of scoring. Um, and, you know, it's it's a shame that he's stuck on kind of a mediocre team. If he had a, either a better team around him in Charlotte or was just on a better team overall, one, he would get more recognition. Um, he's definitely going to be an all-star this year. That will be his third all-star appearance. But really, you could say he probably should have had four by now. Um, and he should be a guy who's perennially in the playoffs, you know, winning playoff games, you know, winning playoff series. Um, and it, it's a shame because this team, again, as currently constructed, even in the week, even in the East, is a seven or eight seed maybe, um, and probably first round fodder. And that's a shame because Kemba Walker, like you said, I mean, I, I think that 
MVP is, is too hard to say because um, we'd have to see what team he would be on, and you know, obviously, if he can continue this. But let's, if he were to able somehow continue this kind of scoring and this kind of efficiency um, mm-hmm. on a better team that would win like 47, 48 games, then he'd definitely be. In, I think he'd definitely be in the top three um, or top five, like an uh-huh. Isaiah Thomas two years ago. Um, That's what I was thinking more. I, I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go no, to, yeah. to interrupt you too much, but like, not so much. Oh, like hot take in like numbers wise but the numbers he's putting up on a team where you get more recognition because yeah you're putting on a Hornets team that I mean they're gonna fight to make the playoffs I mean they're they're struggling to close out games against I mean not tonight but you know losing to the Bulls things like that sort he's not on the team that kind of showcases talent in that way I mean on a national level you're gonna get that oh wow he's fifth in scoring and yes it's still early and there's a lot more um factors to take into it but i'm thinking if he was on a team where he even got more ignition more recognition it would be more of the boston celtics isaiah thomas type storyline where while he has the numbers then you perform the narrative and then you say mvp you know what i mean so yeah that's kind of where i was going yeah but oh man i mean he's shooting 44 percent from three on 10 attempts per night like he's averaging 10 it's 10.8 attempts per night it's insane and it's great to see that he's increasing the volume and and being more efficient honestly um and you know you know, the new coach, James Brejo, um, has implemented more of a modern system, going more small ball, um, and, and it's definitely made the Hornets, you know, more fun to watch, and I think it might be unleashing a little bit more of Kemba, and also just development as a player. Yeah, definitely. Far and away. All right, so my second point, we're going to return to Houston, um, and we are going to, I'm going to say that the Rockets, you know, should be all in on trading for Jimmy Butler, um, and, you know, it might not be that much of a hot take, really, but, you know, I think... <laughs> I wouldn't give up four first-round picks unless the deal is those picks and Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris as the players to match salary. And if it's if it's Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, I would give up four first-round picks in that trade. But if you have to give up an actual good player, um, you know something like Eric Gordon, Brandon Knight, and three first-round picks, I don't think is too crazy to do for the Rockets team, especially given just the you know, way they got off to the start of the season. Um, because really, you look at those first-round picks, and this is what we talked about in that mailbag question, is that first-round picks for the Rockets are different than first-round picks from the Clippers and, and you know the Nets and teams like that. You know, their 2019 pick and their 2021 picks, you know, should be outside of the lottery. Because um, you look at that 2020 season, and again, they can't trade picks in consecutive years, so they can only do every other year. So it's 2019, 2021, 2023, and so on. So you look at that, in that 2020 season, you'll have James Harden and Jimmy Butler at 31 years old. You'll still have Clint Capella in his prime. I think he'll be 26 at that point. Um, and, you know, you kind of, at this point, have to give a little bit of credit to Maury to find a couple of role players that will just fill their roles, you know, perfectly fine. And at that point, that looks like enough to get you into the playoffs, uh, and not give up a lottery pick. So, and you know, we we would obviously expect the 2019 pick to not be in the lottery, of course. So then you're looking at maybe the 2023 pick being, you know, it's the point where Paul's, you know, done. Harden and Butler are past their primes and not really that. I mean, they're going to be good, but not really that good enough to you know lead this team to playoffs. And you know, Clint Capella is kind of a supporting piece, um, and won't even be under contract really. Um, I think that'll be his last year, honestly. Um, so, but you know, there's there's definitely big risk if you trade away a 2023 first and or a 2025 first round pick, um, especially with no protections. But you know, as all you know, their stars will be beyond their prime. But maybe at some point you kind of have to trust Moy to just keep the team somewhat competitive, so they never really give up a true top ten pick or something like that. And it really comes down to the fact that you have such a limited window with this core. Why not just take a home run swing? Um, because as I said before, when we were talking about the uh, 
picks for players question in the mailbag. Stars obviously drive winning in the NBA. And if you trade for Jimmy Butler, the Rockets would have three top 15 players um, in the league. And I know, I know, you know, discussing the potential fit of all those three is a, is a whole nother issue for a whole nother time. Um, but you have the talent there, and sometimes talent does win out. So, listen, the Rockets could be looking. They play the Portland Trailblazers in their next game without James Harden again. They could be looking at a one and five start. Um, and even though the injuries are a definite excuse when you've missed Paul for two games of the suspension, you're going to miss Harden for at least two games. Nene hasn't played a game. Um, James Ennis is going to miss, you know, two to three games. But this team desperately needs Butler's defense and just an overall jolt. I mean, as I mentioned before, they're 25th defensively after the, the Friday night loss to the Clippers. Again, looking down the barrel of a 1-5 start, if not worse, honestly, the way they're playing. They need this jolt. They need to take a home run swing. And if they can get it, if they can get Butler without giving up Gordon or Tucker, um, they should definitely do it. And if they have to give up Gordon and three first-round picks, I think they still should take that home run swing and just hope that talent wins out. Wow, yeah, that was a very well-founded argument there. I mean, to, to say what we all were kind of thinking, but like with actual, you know, decent backing. <laughs> all right, so mine, again, just because I have a floor for the dramatic, I labeled my second point Detroit Pistons fourth seed. Um, Just <laughs> saying, <laughs> I do not think they'll be the fourth seed. It was just to get you to kind of stand up an alarm. But, um, yeah, I, this is where I talk about Detroit. I, I Currently undefeated, yes, we all know that their wins have been razor close. Yes, three of them were in playoff teams. Yes, Luke Kennard is out four to six weeks. And Stanley Johnson provided a little off the bench. Um, yes, Drummond's been up and down, and Jackson's kind of adjusting. However, all that being said, oh, and one more thing to say yes to. Blake Griffin has just carried an astronomical load as far as minutes is concerned. You know he's good for an injury. And um, with the load that he has and how important he apparently is on the court, it, 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 it's going to be scary, especially sporting a 29.4 usage rate. That's insane. However... I'm all in on Coach Dwayne Casey, and I like some of the things he's already done for Detroit, and this is why I think it is or is sustainable and more in line. I'm about to say a few points I've liked. Um, first, I think having Reggie Jackson and Ishmael together in the backcourt is inspired. I mean, they've already played more minutes on the court together, 45 together than they had all last year, which was just 16. And I think it's been helped immensely by the fact that now Ishmael is shooting and making threes. So you have both guys who are threats to you know, penetrate to the rim or shoot the long ball. And it is an adjustment for Reggie Jackson, but I think one that's better for him because, I mean, come on. It, with all the point guards in the NBA, he's definitely the lower rung. So I think to take away pressure from him by giving Blake Griffin the ball and making him more of a point forward or a, a – a, yeah, I said it already. A point forward, a point big man can let Reggie stick to his strengths, which is, you know, creating off the ball. As a secondary ball handler, he can be a spot threat. He can look to score more without having to have – the the pressure of bouncing the scoring and facilitating and then it also preserves his health it's better on his knees and 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 legs and having to pick and roll after pick and roll to initiate and get the offense going so he can flame out you know in late december so i think that's great um another thing i've liked is he's i've seen stanley johnson has played a bit the four which i think is also great by casey because it it takes advantage of of stanley's strengths which i think is attacking the basket or is kind of handling the ball a little bit instead of just staying in the corner where he's not a great shooter, so he's not really threatening anyone. Um, His numbers in general aren't that great offensively, but I think that Dwayne Casey's putting him in the best position to succeed, which would carry on further. And then also, they haven't really done it, and this would be so easy to do, but um, Blake Griffin at center, there there haven't been too many lineups of him there. 
and I think that's been great because you would think, you know, bring Blake Griffin at center, you know, if when when Kennard was healthy, you'd have him out there, Reggie Bullock, Reggie Jackson. Um, I wouldn't put Ish Smith. I'm trying to think of another shooter they had on the on the court for them. Um, let's say Glenn Robinson, and then you have you have him surrounded by shooters, which he can let teams play. You know, he can kill them from the post or through his passing. But Casey's already just drawing the big man out by saying, "Hey Blake, we don't need you to play just at the five to draw the big man out and, and stick you. Just bring the ball up, initiate the offense, which already stretches the floor in that way and opens up so much more for Drummond, who still has some passing ability." Although his three-point shot, Lord help us all. Um, and then, you know, um, Reggie Jackson, Ishmael Tamor, it simplifies their roles by playing more to Blake Griffins. I like that. And then one last thing. That was a brilliant. He's done this a couple of times. I saw it on NBA TV, I think. Yeah, I think that's what it was. That um, ATO that he drew up against Philly, <laughs> that, um, the fake handoff, mm-hmm. take to the basket by Blake. He's done that a few times. And, I mean – they still haven't got it. I think who said Amir Johnson said after the game, "Oh, next time I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna see that one." Or I'm gonna, you know, I thought it was funny. Like I'm not gonna fall for it a third time or whatever it was. But you have a coach, and this is the thing Stan Van Gunny, but a coach who out of, out of timeouts has go-to plays to get scores just consistently. I mean, from what I've seen from Detroit, and yes, it's been against middling teams, but that counts for something from a coaching standpoint to me. So this is why I'm high on Detroit. I'm sure you have a few things to kind of throw at me on the opposite end. But um, I'm just threw those out real quick. I mean, no, those are all great stats, and you know, listen, they, they've won the games, which is obviously a win is a win. Uh, and the most notable thing, the most notable time that he ran that same play was when that Valanciunas against the Bucks last year, when he got that game tying dunk over John Henson, do, doing the same thing with him having the ball in his hands, faking the handoff, and then driving to the rim. So definitely a play he's used before. Um, I don't have too much to add. I mean, I think I'll get to the Pistons later on in in our and one segment. But basically, looking at their their next stretch of games as that real um, the real the real test of them because I'll, I'll just mention it now: Boston at home, at the Celtics on the road, at the Nets, at the Sixers, at, and then the Heat at home. So those are four four out of those five games are against playoff teams or likely playoff teams. Um, a couple of them coming on the road as well. So again, the, the, they. Again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, they've had pretty easy schedule so far and have barely escaped with all four of their wins. Um, I don't want to take anything away from them, but also I want to see them play this well or get the wins against the better competition. I think they'll be tested over the next week or so. Totally with you on that. And again, I, I could be, you know, in a, in a two weeks or so, look totally wrong on taking such strong a stance on a team that, like you said, I've had a small sample size against not the strongest of competition, but I'm going for it. We'll see how it looks in a couple of weeks. I really <laughs> think there's something here with Detroit. All right, I will finish up my three points um, by, by highlighting the strong starts for both Trey Young and Luka Doncic. Um, I, I really think, and I, th- I believe this beforehand, but I really, their, first, their strong starts have kind of really cemented my belief that the trade will, will, can and will work out for both teams. Um, I think that they're still, I think that Doncic may very well end up, the, end up the better player overall, but in order to properly evaluate the trade, you know, years down the line, it's going to be Trey Young plus whatever the Hawks do with that Mavs pick in next year's draft against whatever Doncic, you know, provides. That's how you really properly evaluate it. So we have to wait and see what they do with that pick before we can really say, oh, the Mavs won the trade or the Hawks won the trade or something like that. But really, so far, both have been really good. Trey Young so far, 21.5 points per game, 7.5 assists per game, 3.5 rebounds per game. 56% true shooting percentage is, is pretty good, honestly, given his volume and just the, his play style. 
nearly 39% on three-pointers, um, almost eight attempts per game. Again, is great to see. Um, he's shooting. He definitely struggled with his shot in preseason and summer league, so it's great to see that I, it's not the same case in the regular season. And honestly, given his usage and his role, 3.3 turnovers per game really isn't all that bad for, for a rookie, especially a rookie point guard. So, I mean, he's, he's dazzled us. That game against the Cavs, we torched them for 35 points and 11 assists um, was, was mesmerizing to watch. Um, even when he's not playing well, he's just something, he's honestly like, he's if he's not already must-watch TV, is, is going to quickly become must-watch TV. Um, and then Doncic, on the other hand, you know, 19 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.8 assists per game. He's struggling with his efficiency, only a 52% true shooting percentage and just 29% on three-pointers so far. These were these stats were pulled before tonight's game against the Raptors. Um, I think that, listen, they're still rookies, so they're obviously going to hit their fair share of struggles moving forward. Uh, but so far, both have provided glimpses of how good they can be and how the trade can work out for both teams. So again, you know, it's so great to see that both of them are playing well, and then I think that to properly evaluate the trade years down the line, we have to wait and see what the Hawks do with the Mavs pick. But just based on how both these players are playing so far, in a vacuum, I think that this really, you know, cemented my opinion and my belief that the trade can and will work out for both teams moving forward. Yeah, they're, they're going to be very important to see. And they've already had, like you said, a couple just great, great games. Um, so I'm going to go on my third point. And again, I already touched on this a little bit ago, but OKC. Um, OKC should be concerned. That's the point. <laughs> They're 0-4, obviously. Eighth in pace, but dead last in offensive rating. Last in league in shooting efficiency. They not only seem to have trouble generating good looks, they also seem to have problems or trouble knocking any of those shots down. Statistically, their best shooter with more than one three attempted per game is Alex Sabrinas at 31%. Then there's Dennis Schroeder at 29%. And then Paul George and Patrick Patterson at 28%. In the two games that Westbrook has played in, he shot 11 threes and made just one. Again, he's made just one. And there's a few issues. For one, Russell Westbrook's still coming back. When he his first game against the Kings, he actually did not look as rusty. This last one against the Celtics, he definitely did. And he was forcing the issue. Paul George, uh, I guess, just hasn't had the spacing. He's also had more of a slump, although he's been getting points. He's just been very inefficient. Terrence Ferguson at the two. I think his confidence is gone. His shot definitely is. He's just not even moving, like, as far as making an impact in the game. You can watch the Thunder, and just be, he he'd be sleepwalking for all that we know as far as the impact he's making. If I was Coach Billy Donovan, and who knows what he's doing, I would even put Hamadou Diallo up there because at least he's aggressive in, in making a move when he wants to. He's not a great shooter at all, and that just is a, a general problem of the Thunder roster up and down. But that's not something to be fixed right now. But something has to when – your defense, which uh, right now, if I remember looking at the numbers just earlier, was 15th. The defense isn't going to hold, especially with the pace and the way that teams are playing forever, especially if you can't generate good, consistent looks. And I'm really troubled by Billy Donovan's coaching. I mean, I get Russell Westbrook missing, you know, training camp preseason, but for the rest of this roster, you would have thought that you'd see some clever action or something out of Donovan to elicit trust i mean i just showed you three or four things from Dwayne casey that i've seen that okay he's been here this is the moves he's made to better the pistons now whether or not that works is one thing or the other but this is what he's done with billy donovan i really can't give you anything i mean what has been what has been changed you know like like there hasn't been and this is a team that has expectations they're dead last in the western conference and unless they turn the boat around soon i mean this could be a season-long funk i mean obviously they'll make a run to get back into it but 
yeah, there's there's cause for concern. And I don't even think it's a question anymore where they're like, oh, should you be concerned? No, you should be concerned about the OKC Thunder. I mean, even if they turn things around, I think that bar if they get eliminated in the first round again, I think that Donovan really has to go just for a change, and that would be the third straight first round elimination. And they not they're not going to change the roster much because they don't have the flexibility to do so. And then obviously the the first person to go when a team disappoints is the coach. Um, and by the way, I forgot to mention uh, earlier in my half court heave segment about candidates to get fired in the season. Uh, I'm going to add Scott Brooks to the list because obviously they got off to a rough start. They're currently losing to the Kings. That would put them, the Wizards, at 1-4. and four. Um, Dwight Howard is not playing, and we don't know when he's going to return. Um, and when he does, that locker room is going to be put on notice. Um, so I think that, you know, you just mentioned Donovan potentially, you know, disappointing as a coach and, and being fired. Well, the Wizards were disappointing last year, and obviously a big part of that was Wall being injured. But there are some issues that this, this roster just isn't being maximized. Um, and again, like I said, the first person to go when you can't change the roster because you have lack of flexibility is always the coach. And so I'm going to add Scott Brooks to that list of the coaches we mentioned before. Oh, wow. That, that's another one. You're right. I mean, this is a, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I can't say anything. The Wizards are just dysfunctional in general. So I feel like, I feel like putting on, on Scott Brooks is, is harsh, but at the same time, the dude has done nothing to kind of mitigate those factors. It's been a walking disaster in the locker room the last couple seasons so yeah heads would have to roll and it would have to be his all right let's that'll conclude our three points segment let's move on to our fourth segment something foul which is basically our version of worst of the week now it's time for something foul i'm gonna go with like i teased before the cleveland cavaliers um (laughs) oh and five and they're getting beaten pretty easily so far. They've got three double-digit losses, including that 22-point home loss to Atlanta. And let me just run through some numbers after last night um, when the Cavs lost to the Pistons. So that would be on Thursday night. Um, I'm just going to run through these numbers. 30th in net rating, minus uh, 13.4. 26th in offensive rating. 29th in defensive rating, and this defensive rating, I hope you're sitting down, is 118.6. Get out of here. <laughs> they are second in frequency of shots from the mid-range, so they're taking a lot of mid-range jumpers, and they're 29th in frequency of shots from three, so basically the reverse of what we what, what I said in one of my three points earlier, in that most for the most part the league is shooting less mid-rangers, more threes. The Cavs are doing the opposite. Um, they're 24th in three-point percentage as a team. And they're 28th in shooting percentage at the rim, uh, 53.4%. So all of those numbers, I mean, just what a terrible start for the Cavs. Their upcoming schedule, Pacers, Hawks, and Nuggets at home in a homestand. Then on the road, at the Hornets, at the Magic, and then home against OKC. Listen, there are some winnable games there. They have the Hawks at home. They've got the Magic. They've got games they can win. But the way they're playing, I wouldn't count on them to win any of those games. I mean, really, at this point... Like I said before, with Tyron Lue being a leading candidate to be fired during the season, it is time to look to just sell off and trade those veterans. Um, and, and that includes Kevin Love, guys like Kyle Korver. And just focus on the rebuild and tank because, listen, besides this start, you know, the, it's not only the you know Kevin Love missed the game. Um, it's just that the team, the defense is just abysmal. The offense is not scoring. Kevin Love in this bigger role is not really putting up the numbers we expected him to, and he's not really scoring efficient, efficiently at all. Um, they don't have the talent around him. Um, and, you know, they got, the, again, like I said before, this weird roster of veterans and some young players that should be getting more playing time. And at this point, given their start, given their upcoming schedule, and given just the, the, the roster in general, 
uh, it's time to look off, to sell those veterans off and focus on the rebuilding tank. But you know, be, because of their slow start, not not even slow, because of their terrible start, the Cavs are my something foul of the week. You know, it's sad we talked about them when we were doing our previews, our our, our own training camp, and I said. I was actually kind of excited to see Cleveland because I didn't know whether they're going to be a dumpster fire or kind of intriguing. You, you, you want to believe how many? Yeah, I do. I've literally I've barely able to watch parts of two games, and I'm just like, wow, this is painful. Yeah, it, it's been rough. It's been rough. And you're right. It, it's it's not only a fire; it's like a rolling fire coming up from a hill into like a small village. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it's horrible. It, it's bad. And yeah, I didn't see this. I, I guess I should have, like, all the signs were there, I guess, but for whatever reason, I felt this team was more of a competitive a competitive lineup that had been fielded by Cleveland since when LeBron left last time, and it was just the husk of Antoine Jameson and J.J. Hakeson and Mo Williams. I thought this was better for whatever reason, and that Colin Sexton would be would come out the gate strong. He has not come out the gate strong, but I think that is a mix of being yanked around a bit and obviously having growing pains as a point guard in his first year in the NBA. But my something foul... I guess it actually concerns tonight's game between the Warriors and the Knicks is these early season billboards, please, uh. cries for help to bring in players when the offseason comes. But I'm sorry, we're still in October. I mean, Christmas hasn't happened. Thanksgiving hasn't. Goodness sakes, Halloween hasn't happened yet. And we're still come here, this and that. Not only was that billboard just horribly drawn. I did not like that rendition. They couldn't use the Knicks. They just did like a 35 on the front which or, or whatever number, which was just – it was just weird. It was just it was just tacky. And then and then you get a, a response out of Durant. Oh, it doesn't even interest me to the phase. Me. So congratulations, you got yourself some negative publicity there. And then he comes out and drops forty one on you with twenty five in the fourth quarter or twenty four in the fourth quarter. Not that those two events are related. The, the the one thing I'm just upset about is that we don't need these these pleas and all and all of this while the season hasn't even really gotten underway. Like we're still making predictions basically off of small sample sizes, and yet we have teams that are already trying to start getting players to play for their teams when they become a free agent in 10 months. And I get people saying it was never too early, but yeah, there is a time when it is too early. So, so that's my something foul. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this. I, I, I know I brought this up in either one of our preview episodes or even our episode last week. Um, one of the episodes in the offseason, and I, I already just knew I was going to be sick of player people, not even these billboards, but there's just people talking about 2019 free agency while the season is going on. Because you, when you, I know the NBA free agency is a big story now. It's a huge thing. gets all the attention. Obviously, so many moves are made. And again, 2019 has the potential to make a lot of big moves and a, a lot of big players going to different teams. But really, when we get into the regular season, you know, we should appreciate these these crazy league pass games. These honestly, these incredible performances like Durant's performance tonight, Curry's fifty one performance um, against the Wizards, Blake Griffin's fifty point game and game winner against the Sixers. Like games like that. That's what the regular season is for. The regular season is for great basketball, special performances, special plays on a night to night basis. Not us spending most of our time on Twitter talking about where Kevin Durant's going to go in 10 months from now or any other player going to which, you know, Team X in the summer of 2019. So I'm totally with you. I'm all about just appreciating the regular season and appreciating the great basketball and the storylines that we get during the season because I'll tell you this. We get plenty enough storylines from the regular season in terms of the basketball on the court. We don't need to add more storylines 10 months in advance. Exactly. We really don't. We're the NBA makes enough storylines and drama to run itself for several off seasons. Thank you very much. Much less creating <laughs> off season content now. All right. We will move on to our fifth and final segment, the and one. Now let's look forward with the end one.
Um, and my end one is just looking forward um, for the next week or so um, on the undefeated teams um, and basically wondering when they're going to lose. I mentioned the Pistons schedule, and I'll repeat it again. They're 4-0, and their next five games are a, a home-and-home against the Celtics, then at the Nets, at the Sixers, and then home against Miami. That is a pretty tough stretch there for the Pistons, a team that, again, like I said before, has struggled to close out games against some pretty bad teams so far, so I want to see how they do against real tests. The Raptors are 6-0, and um, and they play at Milwaukee next, which, again, there you go right there, that, that Raptors-Bucks showdown. Um, Philly at home, at Phoenix, at L.A. So, you get a, I mean, the Bucks are a test, the Sixers are a test, the, at the Lakers is going to be a test. So, another a couple of good early season tests for a Raptors team that looks really good so far, like we talked about before. Pelicans escaped today, uh, moved to 4-0. Their next couple of games are really hard. Jazz at home, at Denver, at Golden State, at Portland. I mean, you talk about a test, an early That's season test for an, for an undefeated team. Honestly, I'd be, I think that going 2-2 two and two in that stretch would be, would be a success for the Pelicans, given that, that, that stretch on the road against those, those teams. And then the Bucks, 5-0. They play the Magic. Uh, they play the Raptors. Again, that, that showdown between most likely undefeated teams um, at Boston, Sacramento at home, and at Portland. So, again, another team, another one of these undefeated teams that have a couple of, of big tests coming up. So, you know, all these teams, you know, it's hard to say which one's going to stay undefeated the longest, um, but all these teams are going to face, you know, three to four um, potential showdowns and real tests early in the season to see a, a, good, barometer for, a good barometer for how elite these teams are. Obviously, the Raptors are going to be elite. But really, how good can the Pelicans be? I think we'll find out in the next couple of games. How good can this Bucks team be? We're going to find out in the next couple of games. And really, is this Pistons start for real? I think we're going to find out in the next you know week or two. So that's my end one of just looking forward to watching these undefeated teams moving forward as they actually face some real tests. I like it. I like it. I actually have an interesting another schedule <laughs> to kind of evaluate, but it's it's concerning the Rockets. Um, don't have to re- rehash how low I've been on them. But I think in light of whether or not they make a Jimmy Butler trade in the coming weeks, their schedule is going to be interesting. They have they don't have a game again until they play the Trailblazers at home, or they're going to play they're going to play at home against the Trailblazers on Tuesday, and then after that they have a game Friday against the Nets, and then one against the Bulls, which I think going to be going to be okay. I think I feel pretty safe banking on the Rockets at least pull those two out just on superior talent at the front end alone. But then they have three interesting ones on the fifth, the eighth, and the tenth of November against the Pacers, at the Pacers, at the Thunder, and at the Spurs. And I think those games are going to be telling if they haven't made the Jimmy Butler trade already. And if if they have, then it's going to be a great barometer to see. I mean, he's going to have to catch on the fly. There's not really going to be a training camp or anything for him to see how he matches up with that with that new addition against these three teams. But the Pacers, Thunder, and Spurs, even as bad as Thunder have been, are still going to be tough teams to play. And I, I do want to see how the Rockets match up against them. So, yeah, I mean, and another thing just to say about the Rockets for an, a potential and one that's Rocket-specific is that October 31st, um, date that uh, that will then allow Brandon Knight and or Marquise Chris to be aggra- ah. aggravated in a trade as salary. So, if, you know, again, like I talked about, a potential Gordon Knight and some firsts, that can't happen until October 31st. Anything involving Knight um, or Chris, you know, being aggregated together in, as salary for a trade can't happen until October 31st. So, you know, again, that could be a deadline for, uh, not a deadline, but that could be the first day that they can really, really ramp up those Butler decisions, if not have a deal kind of in place and then just wait to execute it then, depending on how desperate they get. Another thing, 
James Harden's injury is going to be one thing to watch because you mentioned those games. They, they definitely have some winnable games coming up, but again, Harden will be reevaluated after that Blazers game. Um, it's likely he only misses that game. He obviously missed the Clippers loss um, on Friday night, and he, he's going to miss the Blazers game, but he could miss longer than that. Maybe they reevaluate, and maybe he needs another game or two. And again, a shorthanded Rockets team, they're really, really shorthanded. Ed, James Ennis is going to miss the next game or two. Um, they could lose to the team at the Nets in Brooklyn, a game that I will be attending, by the way. Um, oh, wow, okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, they could lose to that team if they're if they're shorthanded. Um, you know, the Bulls look bad and don't have a defense, uh, but Pacers are tough. And like you said, so Harden's injury, Ennis's injury, and then October thirty first date um, are three. You know, other and one for for the Rockets specifically, but definitely a team that's you know like the Thunder, like the Wizards, who look like they're going to be falling to one and four. These teams that we all expected to comfortably make the playoffs and be top five, you know, obviously even top three seeds when it comes to the Rockets and Thunder, they're struggling. They've got interesting tests coming up. They've got, you know, their fair share of injuries and rust to work off and potential trades coming down the line. So all three teams are definitely and ones in their own case. Yeah, that's going to be something to see as well. I actually was at the um, the Suns-Lakers game. So Ooh, I have there to, you go. Now, now I feel self-conscious. I had to bring that up. No, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just jealous, man, of Brooklyn Nets game. Uh, those are the days. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so that'll wrap up this week's episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Um, once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow our site on Twitter at the 94 underscore, or you can follow us on, or you should and, not or, and you should be liking us on Facebook and following yep. us on Instagram. Um, we've got yep. all, content on all those platforms going out. Again, we, we've had two new podcasts launched this week. We had the Red Team Draft Podcast launch, and then we had, we had Josh Cornelison's Hardwood History Podcast launch. Uh, we've got weekly column, daily columns going up um, on the website. We've got the podcast network, the 94 Podcast Network, which you can obviously find all of our episodes uh, on, the, on the site itself, especially the daily morning shoot-around, which Corbin hosts um, most days throughout the week. Um, and Corbin, you can let everyone know where they can follow and engage with you. Oh, at Corbin Ford NBA all the time also at the 94 twitter handle and please do man I'm, I'm live tweeting certain games i'm asking silly questions i'm running some polls perusing the twitter um there's gonna be a lot more ramping up but i'm excited to get a conversation or at least something to start with you and i'm getting some good interaction from some fine folks and i thank you for that keep it up yeah guys definitely engage with the site account engage with all of us and definitely be on the lookout for when we ask for our next round of mailbag questions um and in that case we will talk to y'all next week on the next episode of the 94 nba podcast take care all right y'all